And I am live. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the True Christian Ministry live stream, I guess we'll call it. Um, we are officially live on YouTube and TikTok. Uh, for anybody watching this after the fact, uh, uh, if you don't know already, maybe you don't know because maybe you only watch on YouTube, but my main TikTok account was uh, received a permanent ban uh, to go live. So I am it's resulting to me using my backup. And then I decided I'm going to start uh, incorporating YouTube in all my live streams because the goal is to get people over to YouTube because uh, I doubt TikTok's going to make this any easier for me. Even if I get my live streaming back, uh, clearly this isn't the first time I've had a deal with TikTok. Remember, in case you forgot, my backup account that I'm using to live stream right now uh, was originally my main account before they banned that. And they permanently banned that. And then I got it back randomly. I don't remember how it happened. Remember, uh, if anybody was, if anybody's been around that long, you'll remember that I was like in shock when my main account came back. People were hitting me up like, bro, did you know your main account is uh, is back? I'm like, what? <laughs> but um, I decided to keep using the one that I'm using now. But uh, yeah, so who knows what'll happen? Um, I still have not heard back from them. The first day we went back and forth a little bit and it was very generated like uh, responses like a bot would give. Um, so I have not heard yet, uh, heard back yet from them on, um, on any other, uh, level. Let me go ahead and say, what's up to everybody on TikTok watching. Unlike the podcast, the comments will stay on because, uh, this is just a dual cast. I'm doing both TikTok and, um, YouTube. What was I doing over here? Oh, let me change my background. There we go. Go ahead and just let that be sitting right there. So what's up, everybody? I see we got 22 people on YouTube. So I appreciate you guys coming over to YouTube. Makes my life easier in the goal of getting people over here. So today I wanted to read some scripture. Obviously, it's Sunday, and I like to dive into the Word of God on Sundays. Um, I'm sorry that we don't normally we normally have music in the background. But again, because I'm on YouTube and copyright rules, I can't use uh, the music like I used to. Um, but I want to read some scripture today. And my main goal is I want to read Titus. But before we go into Titus, I want to read Isaiah 9. Um, because again, it's, I don't know, it's like, it's almost like a cycle where people go through this cycle of constantly questioning the Trinity. And then these people show up with this oneness doctrine. And I know that we talk about it a lot on the, on the podcast, uh, on TikTok, on YouTube, but the truth is, this is one of those crazy, uh, heresies that's resurfacing. It's kind of crazy too. I don't know if you guys have noticed this. But I'll get people that are oneness that speak the Trinitarians as if they've had the foundation and we're showing up trying to change things. Like they for real will say stuff like this is this is a what did someone say to me earlier? Someone said to me earlier, um, uh, as it's always been known, they made their their oneness statement and then said, as it's always been known, like, first of all, no, it has not. <laughs> the Trinitarian view has been the view has been the view. Uh, Big John said, I can make you some copyright-free instrumentals. That would be dope. Definitely, Big John. I know I have the one for, uh, I have the theme song for the podcast, and I can technically actually lower the volume real low, like a five, and then people on YouTube will be able to hear it in the background. Let me see. Let me know, can you hear that music right now? And does it interfere with my voice? Does it make it a little bit better than just hearing me breathe? Y'all let me know on YouTube how you feel about that.
No, I, I can use this song. This is the theme song. I can use this. Let me know if y'all can hear it. Um, I should actually put up my background that tells people to go over to YouTube if they want to join in over here. Oh, y'all can't hear it? I can hear it. It's real low. It's real low. That's probably why y'all don't hear it. Okay. Um, what about there? This is my first time doing it like this, guys, so bear with me for a minute. Okay. All right, well, then there's no point in even trying to have the uh, music play then, so I'll turn it off. Whatever. We don't need music. We're talking about the Lord. So let me open up the Bible. We're going to have the Bible on screen. So if you're watching on YouTube, the Bible is on the screen uh, so you can follow along with Scripture. If you're watching on TikTok, I mean, uh, you can come over to YouTube and, and, and experience that. Let me go ahead and put the Bible on screen. You're unbanned. No, I'm not unbanned. This is my backup account uh, in case you haven't seen it. Notice the different picture. Uh, this is my backup account. I am not unbanned. Um, <clears throat> so like I was saying, a lot of people, uh, the they, they act like the Trinity is this wild claim. And it's like, no, this has been the no, this has been what Christians have stood on the foundation at which uh, Christianity has stood for many, 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 many years, decades, centuries. But let's look at Isaiah nine, because this is where a lot of them go. Right, A lot of them go here, and we have to be able to properly defend this. Because if we don't properly defend this, then we can either cause confusion or we can miss an opportunity to help somebody understand. And obviously, we know what part. Isaiah 9-6. Let's just go there. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And I want to stop there. And, and we're going to go outside of it. But first, I, would, I want to really focus in on every part of Isaiah 9-6 to really get a grasp of what's going on here. So first and foremost, this is in the scroll of Isaiah, which means it's uh, before Christ. Okay, so that's an important distinction. Because here's one of the things that people do that I don't think... <laughs> I've mentioned this before that the reason we're at the place we're at today in Christianity is because discipleship has faded away. Someone asked me earlier during one of my videos, they commented, uh, why don't churches teach apologetics? I said, I have no idea. If I had a church, it would. And what I mean by that is people don't learn how to read scripture properly. So what they do is they read it and then whatever they think. Like that's legit, as, as basic as that sounds. I'll have people comment things saying, well, I think that Jesus is just the flesh. Well, I think that what God did is this. And it's like, well, we shouldn't be doing that. P uh, Peter makes it clear. Scripture is not for private interpretation. People that think we, that, that Protestants that believe in Sola Scriptura, if you think that that means private interpretation, it does not. It's saying that the word of God interprets itself. And that's why the word of God is such an amazing thing. You might ask, what does that mean? Because a lot of Christians will throw terms around and just assume everybody knows. And then you got Christians that don't want to speak up and say, I don't know what that means because they don't want to seem like they don't know something. And, and I think we need to do better about that. So let me explain to you what I'm talking about here. So hermeneutics, actually, let me go back even further. Hermeneutics, if you hear that word, that word is the study of how you study scripture, basically. It's the study of how to interpret and how to and how to read scripture. Um, so it's 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 People have different hermeneutics, right? So people follow different ways that they that they study the scripture. However, most people have a set standard of how they do it. 
when you don't get discipled, you have people that bounce around, that just interpret it however it feels comfortable in that moment. However, that's not how proper biblical hermeneutics works. There's certain standards that you should hold yourself to for consistency, right? Uh, if you don't, then what you're doing is you're saying, I'll just interpret it however I need to interpret it to make sure my doctrine always works. If If you've never found a contradiction in your doctrine and had to fix yourself, then you have an issue because no one has a perfect doctrine. Like if you haven't had to be confronted with scripture, even on your own, then we need to talk about your, your, <laughs> your pride, maybe your pride, maybe. So proper hermeneutics on top of that, what I was referencing before I talked about hermeneutics is some people will, oh man, how do I want to word this? I'll just use the example. Then we'll talk about it. Jesus reveals to us the heavenly, his heavenly father. Guys on YouTube, let me know if my audio just cut in and out. I don't know if that was my headphones or the mic. Jesus reveals to us who the heavenly father is. Prior to Jesus revealing this, God was never called heavenly father ever, 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 ever. There was times in scripture where God refers to himself as a father in the Old Testament and say, I will be a father to him. But I'm saying like people didn't refer to him as a father or the father until Jesus reveals that. Therefore, when I read the Old Testament, I have to have that in my understanding of how I read things. Hey, proper pickles. I would say don't tell me anything because I want to go back and watch the recording, but I know that I'm going to find out anyway. So I guess you can let me know. But as you see, I'm not watching the game. Um, but uh, yeah, don't tell me. I'm going to go back and watch the recording. <laughs> Drew Locke. Last time I saw him play was a terrible, hideous thing. So like I was saying, you can't take something that's revealed by Jesus and then drag it back into the Old Testament and say, ah, right there, see? <laughs> right there. Simple as day, guys. Don't you see it? Because that's what's happening. Let's actually look at Isaiah 9-6. And what I want to do is I want us to put ourselves into a, a first temple Jewish mindset. You don't know a Trinity. You don't know a Jesus. You don't know a father, son. You don't know uh, anything except for what they would have known at this time. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. So two things being stated here. A child is coming that is going to be born. And that child is going to be given to you. So it's coming from outside. It's given to you. Who's it being given by? This is something I don't think they, they love to jump here to look at and point to everlasting father, but don't want to talk about that first part. Who's he given by? <laughs> who gives the father? I mean, who gives uh, this Messiah? And then it goes into saying, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Now, if you look at Jewish translations of the prophet Isaiah scroll, you know, they reject that this is about the Messiah. They reject that this is about Jesus. But them, even as Jews, understood that what's about to be explained is the perfect Davidic figure that will sit on the throne. And what would make someone the perfect Davidic figure that sits on the throne of David? Let's read it. Wonderful counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting father. Prince of peace. All four of these are titles in... in uh, in uh, relation to us, the people, 
He will be a wonderful counselor to me, to us, a prince of peace for us, a mighty God for us, and an everlasting father for us. How? Wh what is the Jewish understanding of this if I didn't know about the heavenly father yet? Instantly, my mind goes to who? Abraham, the father of Israel, our patriarch. We went through a period of patriarchs. The perfect figure to replace David will be someone who fits the perfect mold of all of these things. Uh, John, I'm on my backup page, just so you know. And I still am definitely banned on my main page. Um, so I want you to think about that. Because look what it says after that. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with the justice and the, with righteousness from this time forth and forever more. It's about the person that will sit on the throne of David. And what has the Messiah's promise been throughout the all, all the Old Testament? He will be the perfect Moses, the perfect prophet. Moses says, one's coming after me. The perfect David, the perfect king. The perfect uh, uh, um, um, apostle, the New Testament refers to him as that. And then the perfect patriarch. He is the seed of Abraham. In Galatians chapter, here, let's look at this together, actually. I didn't plan on going here, but let's open up a new tab. Everybody on TikTok, you can't see it, but we have the Bible open on YouTube. You can watch along and follow the Bible. So let's go to Galatians chapter 3 real quick, guys. And in Oh, and perfect high priest. Thank you, KC. Uh, and we're going to hit that next. In Galatians 3, what does it say? It says that uh, the promises were made to Abraham and his offspring or seed, depending on your translation. It does not say to the offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. So the Messiah is the seed of Abraham and Abraham's the patriarch of all of Israel. And Jesus is our everlasting father. N calling him a father does not remove the fact that his father is his father. Just like I'm my son's father, that doesn't make me my own father. Let's go back to Isaiah 9. These are in relation to us, but the question needs to be, who gives this son? And to us, a son is given. Because then we can look at things like Proverbs 30. This is before Jesus is incarnate. Before Jesus is in the flesh, what does it say? It says, what is his name and what is his son's name? Surely you know. Every word of God proves true. I like how it says the word of God right after that. Then it says what? He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Proverbs 30 is before the incarnation, but here we go talking about what is his son's name and what is his name? The truth is, Isaiah 9-6 does not do anything to help the oneness movement if you read scripture the proper way. And ironically, hold on, let me see if I can pull this up real quick. If they keep reading in Isaiah, I believe it's 28.10. Isaiah actually teaches you how to, uh, you know, how you study scripture. For it is precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. 
and obviously there's more into it, but I just wanted to go there and kind of reference that real quick. <laughs> oh, and by the way, yes, I, I, I went over it in passing, but Jesus is also our perfect high priest. And there's also a reason why he comes after the order of Melchizedek and not Aaron. People need to understand this. The word of God is very specific on a lot of things that it says, on everything that it says. So we can't just throw in meanings of things that we want. We just can't do that. We must take our time and read the scriptures and ask ourselves this. Whenever you read the scriptures, if you come to any belief, I wish more people understood this. You should ask yourself, if I read this alone and didn't know anything else, is that what I would have came for? Uh, is that what I would have came to? Because there's a lot of people out there that hold to certain doctrines that can only be proven by one passage in one book of the Bible. And, and don't get me wrong. Could there be something like that that's only mentioned once and we hold to it? Yeah, I don't know what that is because they repeat everything. The word of God is beautiful like that. But if something was in there like that, could it be possible? Sure. But you still would have to show me in the text why it gets there. But people will literally throw away the rest of the Bible and contradict scripture and not even realize it. For example, talk about faith alone and watch how quickly before someone jumps up and says, faith without works is dead. You can't be justified by faith alone. James chapter two. But then they don't explain anything Paul has said. So they throw away the fact that Paul contradicts that then. Unless you can walk me through what Paul says and explain to me how Paul is literally saying the opposite. You can't just throw something over there and not be willing to explain the other things. Because then you'd have to say, well, I believe in a corrupted Bible or a contradicting Bible. And then there's a bigger question at hand. <laughs> there's a bigger one. But so in YouTube, on YouTube, we got a question that says, uh, you know, why do people dodge that question and use 2 Thessalonians uh, 2.15 or 2.13 through 16? And this is one that you mainly see from the Catholics. And what they do is uh, they point here when you tell them that we believe in Sola Scriptura, their point is here to show like, well, look, they depended on things outside of Scripture. It's a very weak argument. And here's why. Nothing about that passage. Again, what did I just say? If you read the passage alone, can you get there? When you read that passage alone, that letter alone, does that give you any idea of that? No, because look, look at how he words that actually. Let's pull it up on screen. I, the people, oh, it gets on my nerves, man. Listen what it says. Oops. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. If these were different in any way, it would not say or, it would say end. The or. When he says either or, he is letting us know these are the same. It's not about a different message. It's a different type of uh, delivery. He's not telling you hold on to these different messages. He's saying regardless how it was delivered to you, hold on to it. Whether you heard me preach it or you read it in a letter. Because Paul also tells us in 2 Corinthians, what you hear from us in person or what we write in letter is the same as you hear in person. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, someone on YouTube said some early church fathers said nothing extra was added. Uh, many did. Athanasius, Augustine, uh, uh, 
I try and man, I'll be honest with you. I try and stay away from the Catholic debates because I get so passionate in it. But yet, like they find their way to me because sometimes, man, I just be like, you know what? I can't talk because I'll get in my flesh because it's so aggravating um, when people say some of the things that I've heard Catholics say. Oneness and Catholics probably get me more frustrated than anything. But at least Catholics believe in the Trinity. Like, so that's why you'll never hear me sit here and say, you know, uh, automatically, if you're Catholic, you're not saved because your title means nothing. You won your appeal. No, I didn't. I'm on my backup page right now, guys. This is my backup page. Different uh, profile picture. We are actually live on YouTube as well. Um, if you would like to uh, join us on YouTube, you get to see the scripture on screen. Uh, we've got logos open, so we're going to look at all the scriptures and everything like that. So you can definitely join us over there. Uh, if not, yeah, you can hang out here on um, on uh, 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 TikTok. So now uh, let's just go ahead and get to what I wanted to do, to, to do though, because I could sit here and talk about that stuff nonstop. Let's go to um, Titus. I want to read Titus with you guys. Why? Because Titus gives instruction for young men, young women. It gives instruction when dealing with hostile Christians, hostile non-believers, false teachers. It's a very strong letter. Now, the thing is, here's the thing I want you to understand. In the beginning of this letter, it opens up and he starts talking to you about the um uh no that's in chapter two chapter two he starts talking to you about the roles of an elder or an overseer and i want you to understand something even though you might not hold that role as a man of god for my men that should be a goal like no matter what you might not want to be a pastor or anything like that but an elder and what an elder is is someone obviously who has uh been with the church and been moving in the body and wise and 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 you know there's criteria we're going to read it <laughs> but my my point is I don't want people to think like oh it doesn't apply to me because I'm not that and yes and no yes you're right it doesn't that's not your responsibility however if if God is our priority being in the body of Christ and being a, a good member in the body of Christ is a priority, being a, a good brother, a good son, then obviously you should have your eyes set on being anything beyond you can what you can be. So therefore, these instructions are good for us. So I want us to read these. Don't gloss over it because it's like, oh, I'm not a pastor. It has nothing to do with me now, you know, because we could do that. People could do that. Paul opens up the letter, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I am being, I have been entrusted by the command of God, our savior. I love that Paul says, who never lies. It reminds me of in Hebrews chapter 6. A lot of people love to say Hebrews 6, it says you can lose your salvation, but it's on the contrary. It actually doesn't say that. It actually solidifies your eternal security by pointing to the fact that Christ is our anchor and that he cannot lie. I love that. God cannot lie. So when people ask you, why do you believe X, Y, and Z? People say, Mike, why do you believe in eternal security? Because God can't lie. Why do you believe in faith alone? Because God can't lie. I believe God. I believe him. 
when you start putting your trust in yourself and be like, I got to do this, I got to do this, then you're not believing God, you're believing in yourself. I can do this. I can do enough. I'm going to make sure I'm a good Christian. I'm going to make sure I go do the sacraments. I'm going to make sure I do this and I do this and I do this. I'm going to cooperate with God. No, I'm a wretched sinner. I can't do not nothing. Thank God my God is a merciful, gracious God and he don't lie. Praise his name. I believe. I believe. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever should believe in him shall not perish. He says to Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. This is why I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you, if anyone. So let's stop there, actually. Let's stop there. So obviously, Crete is a location that he left Titus and some others, and they're building up a church. And I, I want to point this out because people will often ask, like, oh, why does a pastor need to be married? Uh, I know it says that, uh, you know, Paul says that, but Paul wasn't married. Paul wasn't a pastor. Paul planted churches. Paul trained pastors. Paul uh, uh, built them up. But the shepherd is is the one that needs to be able to relate to everybody in the congregation. And marriage and child and and fathering is a very crucial part of that. He said, "If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers." And not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. Let's whoo, whoo. That, that's a lot, man. I'm talking to the men of God right now. This is what you've been, again, you might not be an overseer, but your goal should be to want to be an overseer. Therefore, you should be trying to attain this. Listen what he says. The beginning part is specific, and I get it. You might not be married. But do you know why that's so important, though? Let's actually start there. Do you know why it's so important that he's above reproach, first of all? That's obviously. Now, above reproach doesn't mean sinless. Excuse me. Above reproach doesn't mean sinless. Because no Christian is sinless, right? So you might be like, okay, so how is one above reproach? But there's a difference between me just coming to the Lord three weeks ago with a needle in my arm and someone who's been walking with the Lord for eight years and is known in the community. And why is this important? Because as a shepherd, overseer, steward, you represent his role because it's in his place. That, that you stand until his return. And then it says you must have a husband of one wife and a children are, and his children are believers. Why is this so important? 
And he mentions this in Timothy as well. Well, here's the first one. People always ask me, why can a pastor not be a woman? I say, because God said so. But I don't think they realize this isn't a knock on women. It's not saying women are less than men. Not all men can be pastors. Let me explain to you why it's very important that you meet this criteria. In the household, the husband is over the wife spiritually. Just That's how scriptures, scripture declares it. Therefore, if I am over my wife and I'm in charge of leading her in the right way to, to teach her and make sure that she is walking accountable to God, and it's my responsibility. If, I, if she fails on that, that's on me. Just like when Eve messed up, he went looking for Adam. He didn't say, Eve, where you at? He said, Adam, where are you? He didn't come looking for her. I'm a firm believer that when God does return, he's going to talk to men about the abortion issue. Talk to men about uh, um, the issue with, with, with what's happened in our society that I have to be careful with words-wise, algorithm-wise. Same thing with the way that these children have grown up in this generation. But how can I, as a member of a church, go and, and have a pastor, a shepherd who's a woman, guide me on how to lead my wife and children? How can a single man guide me on how to be a father and a husband? The reason why is because a man who is married and has raised his children properly can literally teach anyone. He could teach women. He could teach men. Period. And because he has a wife and children, it also demonstrates to the congregation that he can teach and lead a family. Because if you can't, if your children aren't obedient and they're disobedient and unbelievers and your wife is, is a, I don't know, cheating on you or whatever, then how can you be in charge of a congregation? How could you be in charge of an entire congregation if you can't even handle a family of three? Hey, TikTok, I noticed trolls are starting to show up. If, if at any point it's distracting to you guys, you can tell me, hey, um, can you please... Uh, um, uh, turn off the comments because I don't want you guys to get distracted. I see someone saying a woman pastor can teach about marriage from the perspective of a wife. That's not what a man needs for, as far as leadership goes. A man doesn't need the perspective of his wife. He needs instruction on how to properly lead his wife. This idea of needing the perspective of the wife uh, 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 as far as like man should get, if man needs the perspective of his wife, his wife should give that to him. His wife should say, here's why I'm seeing things this way. That's a communication issue if the wife's not doing that. At the end of the day, the pastor is called to be a man uh, married uh, with a wife. And, and in Timothy, he goes even further in depth with like, you can't be several different things. Um, actually, it talks about him in here as well, but it talks about you being a good financial standard as well, um, right? So being in debt and not being able to uh, uh, save your money or take care of your money, right? Uh, Jesus says, if you can't be uh, trusted with unrighteous wealth, how can you be trusted with righteous wealth? How you treat a little, you will treat a lot, is what Jesus said in Luke 16, I believe. Let's keep going now. He says, um, and not open to the charge of debauchery and insubordination. I think that's given. We, we, we understand that. And then he goes into saying, for an overseer, as God's steward, and I want to, I never looked at it, but let's see what that word steward is that Paul actually is using in the Greek real quick. Whenever I open up the Greek, I get confused a little bit because it all just does this crazy thing. 
but evil will attack wife and money today. Not just today, um, omniest president. Uh, that's what's happened since the garden. So fun fact, you just made me think about this. Have any of you ever actually thought about how what actually happened at the fall? Now, if you've been following me for some time, you've heard me explain it this way. But for anybody new, what if I told you more happened than just um, um, Eve eating a fruit? What if I told you there was another sin uh, happening in this moment? And that is the perversion of God's order. God created like this. God, and then he created man. God is over man. Then he created woman from man and said man is over woman. Then he gave the beasts and the land to the man and woman and said, you guys take care of that. You have dominion. So the order was God, man, woman, beasts, and, and, and the world. Well, the beast, the serpent, convinced the woman to disobey the man to disobey God because God never gave the instruction to Eve. God gave it to Adam. So Adam gave it to Eve. So Eve allowed the beast who she's supposed to have dominion over to convince her to go against uh, uh, what Adam had told her, then convince Adam to go against God and reflip the order. So instead of it going God, man, woman, beast, it went beast, woman, God, man, and today he is still doing that. We have dogs that eat better in America than people eat in other on uh, in other countries. Legit, have you seen dog food commercials in America? These dogs is eating better than kids in other countries. Uh, people act like they're married to their dogs and cats. Like, oh my gosh, we have little babies. Uh, people uh, treat them like children. Uh, legit, people have turned animals into, yo, I noticed the other, other day, people legit never gave up idolizing animals. I know back in the day they did it differently. They did it with the paintings and the statues and they looked at them as gods. Today, they don't call them gods, but they make them the idol of their life. They make them the idol of their life. And then Satan has been trying to get woman to stand against man. And using this idea like it's about your rights and man looks down on you. So therefore, um, uh, the woman feels a challenge. And I understand why women feel that way because Satan has convinced them that we're supposed to be equal. Whoever lied to you, lied to you. Man and woman are not equal. In value, yes, we're equal. But like as human beings, no, we're not. We're complementary. You're perfect for me as a woman and I'm perfect for you as a man. My wife is my complement, not my equal. My equal doesn't work. That's boring. If if I marry an equal, then we're both going to still be terrible in our weak areas. Now, just two people that don't know what they're doing in situations. But if I marry someone who's not my equal, but my complement, then where I slack, she lifts. Where she slacks, I lift. And just like Adam at one point was the perfect human and man, God split into two. When they come back together, they become one and they are perfect. This is why we match each other so well. But Satan has tried to take away what a being a woman is, a.k.a. we literally have people who cannot define women today. And then on top of that, have made it seem like you got to be like men. That's not the case. You're beautiful exactly as you are. Now, I know that that was a sidetrack. Let me continue with where I was at. Um, the word steward here is oikonomon, oink, oik, oikonomon. Mm, that's an interesting one. But the word means, it 
dispense, uh, dispensator, a steward, commonly a superior slave of tried character who looked after the accounts of the household. Yeah. Or a guardian. Y'all see it on screen for everybody on YouTube. So what Paul is using here is saying that you, men, as overseers, when you get to that position, you are God's guardian for his people. And if we're all slaves to God, because that's what we are, atheists think that sounds crazy. We're not ashamed of it. Romans 6 says you were a slave to sin. Now you're a slave to righteousness. You're a slave to God. If we're servants of God's, then that's the head servant. It's exactly why it's important to be exactly as the Bible describes the pastor's role. Now, I'll be honest with you. Nowadays, we have not only disrespected the role of pastor, we've also watered it down. People will ask me all the time, like, is it okay if, if there's a woman who's a pastor, the, the this pastor, and a man who's single at this pastor role? And it's like, yeah, because they're not really pastors. Nowadays, it's like, oh, well, I've got my youth pastor, my worship pastor, my elevation pastor, my greetings pastor, my coffee pastor, um, our book pastor. There's one pastor. Hey, for those that are in the comment section trying to cause a debate, um, not here to talk to you. I'm I'm just being honest with you. Uh, so I'm here to 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 preach this sermon. So if you want to have a conversation afterwards, that's fine. Uh, pastor is 100 biblical. It's the word shepherd. The word shepherd is in 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 the Bible, and the word pastor just comes from the word shepherd. So uh, the word pastor is synonymous. With shepherd. I don't care at all. You absolutely care. That's why you come into the live stream trying to throw mocking uh, um, comments and, and, and passive aggressive comments. So go in peace. You don't be pressed. All right, let's keep going. So God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick tempered. So I just want to throw something out there. When people say, Mike, you should be a pastor, I tell people all the time, what do you, many of you heard me say this. I'm not, I don't think I'm qualified yet. And one of my areas is I'm still quick tempered. I can, I can be quick to get emotional in certain, certain areas. Like I said, the oneness argument gets me, mm, my passion fires up. And then talking to certain types of Catholics that have these certain arguments that are just straight up blasphemous. Like I know some great Catholics who don't use blasphemous arguments to the nth degree. And then there's some that say things that it's just like, Oh my goodness. I remember one time I was having this discussion with this Catholic and he straight up said scripture was not sufficient. And I'm like, Oh my goodness. Woo. This man said scripture is not sufficient, man. Let's keep going. Let's keep reading. Hold on. Let me, let me move my camera so I can read this better on the um, screen. So not arrogant and not self uh, and self-controlled. Yeah, I'm sorry. Quick tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. This eliminates a lot of pastors today. But hospitable, hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy and disciplined. Let's hit each of them. It's interesting, too, because people don't realize this. People will say, oh, so are you saying women can't preach? No, I'm saying pastor. This is another thing. People have created this synonymous idea of pastor and preacher. Pastor and preacher are not synonymous. Preacher is someone who preaches. 
Can a pastor preach? Yes. But being a pastor is not about your preaching. In fact, you don't have to preach as a pastor. You really don't technically have to. I mean, you're going to because you're a pastor, but your job is to shepherd the flock, to care for the flock, to help them, to raise them, to grow with them, to make sure that things are taken care of, to lead them. And it's and that comes from your conduct. Real quick, let's, let's jump to James real quick because James says something that echoes what Paul is saying here, and I want to read it. I think it's in James 3. All right, listen, James says in chapter three, verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Stop and listen to this. Did he say, let them show their wisdom by how he answers you, by the apologetics that he has, by his smooth description of the Trinity, by his, uh, 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 bars, hot fire bars. I don't care. He don't say none of that. Right. does he say, he said by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Then he says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. So he's talking about wisdom and then keeps pointing to conduct. The person with bad conduct is not good wisdom. The person with good conduct is wisdom from God. Isn't that interesting? We think of wisdom and we think of knowledge, but what if wisdom is applied knowledge? You can have knowledge but in order for it to be wisdom, it has to be applied. And that's why wisdom is about the conduct. Wisdom is about, you sh You can see someone, it has wisdom by how they walk, how they live. And that's what your elders should be. That's what your pastor should be. That's what a leader should be. What does he say that that other one is? Selfish ambition, jealousy. He says that's not from above, but he says what? It's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. And demonic. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't care how much good knowledge it sounds like they have when they're talking about scripture. I'll run across people that straight up act like Satan, like straight up disgusting. But then <clears throat> you'll ask, you'll, you'll run into people that listen to him and they'll say something like, oh, well, but yeah, you know, but when he says this, it's really good. They'll hit me with the, but, but no, be very careful for your enemy is out here prowling like a ravenous wolf, like a lion. It says, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Sounds just like what Paul was just saying in Titus. Hey, so for everybody that's shown up on TikTok, FYI, this is my backup page. My main page is still permanently banned. 
Obviously, I haven't been live on here in a while, so that my algorithm is putting me in front of the people I don't need to be in front of. They come in, they add their two cents. I mentioned earlier, if at any point you guys feel like it's a distraction, let me know and I can turn off the comments. I know sometimes you guys like to be able to communicate with each other, but then sometimes you guys rather just focus on what I'm doing and, and, and turn off the comments. So y'all let me know if you decide that. Uh, but we are live on YouTube if you want to come over here and um, and be able to see the Bible on screen. We've got the Bible on screen on YouTube. I have been, I have, I'm not banned, but my live access is permanently banned on TikTok on my main page. They have accused me of uh, uh, something terrible, and I'm uh, in the middle of battling it. I've asked them to show me proof, uh, and they have yet to do so, even though all live streams are recorded. So if it was bad enough to not just hit me with like a seven day, because normally when you get hit on live, it has to be egregious to jump to permanent. If it's not egregious, then you can't jump to permanent. Um, and they jumped to permanent, they jumped to permanent, like not a week, not a month, not six months, not a year permanent. So I'm like, yo, you got to show me them if I, cause this ain't an, this ain't no misunderstanding. This gotta be bold as day. Like I better have beaten my kid on screen or, uh, smoked crack on screen. Like, what did you think? And I, what did you see me do? <laughs> Let's keep going, though. So we're in Titus. So we just read what James said. Now, let's read this again. But hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. I want to talk about each one. I want to share with you guys a story before we do, though. When I started to get into this ministry about a year and a half ago, I um wanted to meet with my priest. I said priest, pastor. Oh, I said priest. We were just thinking about priest. My bad. We were talking about priest, and I said priest. Um. But I wanted to talk to my pastor about things and kind of get an idea like, hey, what do you think I should do, be doing in my next steps? And and how do I move forward? Like just anything you can give me, I'm willing to take it right now. And I remember sitting down with him and he, he was asking me, like, what do you think about planning a church? First thing this man said to me was, what do you think about planning a church? I'm like, oh, hold up now. Hold up now, brother. Um, I'm coming to you about like advice as I begin my ministry small. You talk about planting a church. Um which don't get me wrong, since then I have thought back to it like that would be fun. Um, but uh, I was like, no, 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 no. He was like, okay, well, do you, do you see yourself as a pastor? And I was like, I don't think so. And I said, I don't know though. And he said, well, I'll tell you what I see. So then he told me, I see that you have the gift of prophecy, um, but I'm not quite sure if you have a pastoral gift. And I was like, well, okay, interesting. And he's like, let me explain it to you. And he asked me a question. And I, you've probably heard me say this before if you've been following me for a while. Um, but this is the question he asked me. Let's say you've got a woman that is actively going to your church. And um, one day she decides to give her life to the Lord. She decides to put her faith in Jesus and give her life to the Lord. And she goes to the pastor and says, I am um, a lesbian. I am married and we have a child, but I, I have given my life to the Lord and I'm ready to leave my old ways behind. What do you say? Now, as a prophetic person who just speaks the word of God and preaches on the street, I just got to say what the word of God says, but a pastor can't do that. Pastor has to sit down and guide them because that's not cutting. It's not black and white. 
A lot of people that get online and tell people how to change their lives, they think everything's black and white. There's people that have situations that aren't as easy to deal with. You don't just throw the kid away. You just got people living. Like, there's, there's ways to process that. And when he asked me that, it made me start thinking about, oh, you're right. Pastoralship is different because it's not just, see, what I do is I speak prophetically. So people always hear the gift uh, of prophecy and they always think of fortune tellers. That's not what it means at all. Can it mean, can it mean that God reveals to you something that will happen and it does? Yes, but that's not what the gift is about. The gift is about declaring the will of God and the will of God can sometimes talk about the future. And if you have the gift of prophecy, it is a gift of the ability to declare the word of God. Even when you don't have the word of God, you might not have even read that part. When I first came to the Lord, I was able to quote scripture without knowing I was quoting scripture until other people would tell me I'm quoting scripture. Right. And I'm not I'm, I'm only sharing this with you right now because we're talking about what my pastor said. Right. Um, and he's sitting there talking to me and I'm like, man, wow, I've never thought about um, what a pastor really has to go through. Are you saying that you are a prophet? No. And I'm like, man, that's crazy. And then I'm realizing how much. People don't think about when they think about a pastor. A lot of people, you think about a pastor, and a lot of you think of just the guy on Sunday that comes out and preaches, goes back in. Of course a woman can do that, right? There's no argument there. If that's all a pastor did, then you're right. There would be no argument between you and I on that. But when you understand the pastor's role, then you understand why the scriptures make it clear that it must be a man above reproach and all these things be hospitable. That means I can't make judgments off the rip. I can't get upset. If this person comes in here and they've blasphemed God, if they've, if they've done disgusting things, maybe they just got out of jail for essaying a child. Like I have to, as a pastor, if I was, if I was a pastor, be willing to approach that a certain way. So I need people to understand pastor is not just a preacher. A lover of good, self-controlled, integrity would be a good thing here. Doing what is right, even when no one is looking, right? That's what integrity is. Not just in front of my congregation, but behind the scenes. A lot of pastors in America don't do that, or at least didn't. And that's what a lot of the church scandals rolled into and why church gets looked at certain ways. Because you'll have pastors with other wives and uh, drunks or drugs or prostitutes, whatever it is. They put it on for they put on a show for the for the crowd for the congregation, but the pastor should be a pastor at all times. You see him and you're like, mm, "Hey, pastor." Heck, I love my pastor. I could run into my pastor at Tom Thumb and you could see the light shining from him. He is a joy. I am very very happy that God has placed me under His stewardship um, right at the time in my life that He did prior to me becoming who I am today. And this is why discipleship is also so important. This is why I've been talking to young men today, and I'm hoping that the young men hear me. Because here's the thing, I'm not ignoring young women by talking to the young men, because if I can talk to these young men and they do what the, the men of God are called to do, it will benefit the women. Because if we have men properly courting women and treating them with respect and marrying them the right way and respecting them in the marriage and treating them as the woman of God that she is, that changes so much. 
if men start caring about civilization and women and children and orphans and widows, it would change things. It would change our churches. You know, the truth is, I, I even when it comes to women doing things they're not supposed to be doing, I still blame the men. People always think I'm, I'm, I, I condemn the women pastors. No, I don't. If I see a woman's a pastor of a church, unless I find out she strong-armed it and won't give back the role, I'm not mad at her. I, and I think God is going to be bringing that issue to the men. I believe that's actually allowed by God as a condemnation on the men. Because why did she feel the need to have to step up? She shouldn't have to. Yes, I can be a single parent. I shouldn't have to be. Likewise, could, can a woman lead men and women of God? Absolutely, she can. No one's saying she's physically incapable or literally incapable. No, but she shouldn't have to because men were given a role, but men have failed. Man, I'm telling you, men, men of God, you are not alone. I know sometimes I'll meet people and I'll, and I'll talk about the failings of men and some men will say, well, that's not me. It doesn't matter. It's us. How often do you stop your boys? How often do you stop people, uh, the, your brothers and, uh, and and cousins and uncles and, and, and hold each other accountable? I don't care. You might never have beat your wife, cheated on your wife, uh, uh, pushed a woman into abortion. But, man, we probably all going to stand next to each other when the Lord stand there looking at us. You're right. There's no condemnation uh, in sin. So no one's sitting there saying like you're condemned uh, to hell. But the point is, there is discipline in our Lord. Our Lord disciplines Hebrews chapter 12. In fact, he says, if you're not disciplined, you're an illegitimate child. For what child whom the father loves does not get disciplined. But men, this is why I point to here. Titus, men, wake up every day and ask yourself, how can I be this? Hospitable a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy. Holy, set apart. Holy, set apart. And I think we need to really discuss this, this term set apart because a lot of people take this as a physical thing. So they'll say, oh, I, I don't celebrate Christmas because we're called to be set apart. But yet they're on TikTok on an app made by a secular uh, a group of secular people that don't like God in China that helps literally uh, sex traffic. All types of evil happens on TikTok, and you're using it. Therefore, you are putting money in their pocket. But no, you're not of the world, though, because you don't have a Christmas tree in your house and celebrate Christmas all by yourself in your house where nobody's actually in interfered with or, or affected. No, being holy doesn't mean being absent from the world because we're called to be in the world, but we're called to be different than the world. So while you're in the world, you're different. And that difference isn't really you, it's him. You just need to let him do him. This is why it says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God in you doing a mighty work. And then it says, so do these things without grumbling or disputing. Let God work. Let him cook, right? I love this part right here, though. You notice I have it highlighted because, men, I really want you to hear this because here's another thing. A lot of times people will try to quote scripture and, and say, you shouldn't be calling these people out. Just pray for them. 
Judge not, least you be judged, right? Another thing that people don't realize, the scriptures have many different instances of things that have different uh, uh, um, aspects to them. There's, it's, it's not black and white on, every, on everything at all. For example, when it comes to rebuke, there's different types of rebuke. If you're a brother in Christ and you're not in leadership, you're not in front of people all the time, you're not teaching, and you're wrong, then I correct you in private. If you don't listen, I bring someone with me. Two. And if you don't listen to us, then we take you to the church. If you are a Christian that is teaching incorrectly, then you need to be rebuked sharply in the presence of others so that they may stand in fear of God. There's a difference. Because if they're teaching, if they're teaching, then it's not about private anymore because there's people hearing the lies that need to hear the truth. So therefore you rebuke them sharply, publicly. Private rebuke isn't for teachers, false teachers, prophets, false prophets, whatever. It's not. But he says here, verse 9. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. I love this passage. Important thing to note here. Notice how it says hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. It doesn't say oral teaching or written. Why? Because this proves the point that it's talking about the delivery, not the message. Because paying attention, holding firm to the trustworthy word as taught can apply to both taught in letter or taught in person. But regardless, it's the word. Sorry, I'm dehydrated. So hold to the word. And why do you hold to the word? What does hold to the word mean? So holding to the word, um, um, let's skip, let's go back. Mm, mm, mm. Someone said, uh, what if they don't listen to the church? Justin, at that point, uh, uh, they are no, they are no better than than the heathens. In fact, the Bible says they are no better than the Gentiles. So if someone straight up rejects you, your brothers, and then the entire church then there's something not right with them. In fact, they probably don't have the Holy Spirit. I would guess that Jesus knows what he's doing, where he's setting you up to where if they have the Holy Spirit, one of these moments will convict them. But I want to go back to this, right? So the man of God that wants to be the overseer, right? This is what we should be doing. Men, I challenge you, men, to hold yourself to this. Write this down. Put it on your mirror. He must. Change it to I. Write it down and put I. Change all the he's to I. I must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that I may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. That should be what you stand on, man. Listen what it's saying. If I hold to the word, it means I incorporate the word in everything I do. I hold to it every day. It is my life. What does that mean? I'm not only am I reading it and studying it, 
but I'm also incorporating it in the things in my decisions. I, when I make a decision, I don't let the word of God not be a part of it. When, when I'm uh, dealing with my children or my wife, the word of God is in, involved in my head. It doesn't mean I'm speaking it nonstop, but I'm saying it's there and I'm reflecting on it for my decisions. I allow it to help me walk the way I walk. And that way, when you do that, you're able to give sound instruction and sound doctrine and rebuke those who contradict it. But if you're not building up yourself in the scriptures, if you're not holding fast to it all the time, then when you come across the person who needs rebuke, you can't rebuke them. In fact, you didn't even know they were wrong. And now you're believing the falseness too, because you weren't in the scriptures. You know who's violating this? A lot of pastors violate this in the black community because the black Hebrew Israelites have been blitzing the churches in the black community and they outdo a lot of the church members with knowledge. And therefore people go, oh, well, this must be true. I'm going to leave and go over there. The reprobate heart, reprobate mind. Now, I believe it's the same thing there. And, and so here's what I'm saying. I'm not trying to knock a certain type of church, by the way, either. Right. Many of you know me. You would know that that's not my goal at all. But let's be very honest that there's a certain type of church that really emphasizes more about the music and and, and uh, emotions. And there's not a lot of substance. And therefore, the knowledge over periods of time starts to lower as far as scriptural knowledge. Well, the Hebrew Israelites who are well-versed in scripture, they're just well-versed completely wrong with bad hermeneutics, bad interpretation, and they know absolutely nothing. But they sound like they can go around the scriptures. And they blitz these churches, legit. They roll up 50, 100 deep outside of a church and they confront the pastor and embarrass him with scripture so that way the congregation goes, oh, wait a minute. LDS does the very same thing. So the LDS actually train up their young elders that are like 18-year-old elders, but they do train them up so that they go out there and they minister and they send them. Christianity has lost its organization because we're no longer because we're not unified. And honestly, it's I believe it's prophecy, so therefore I'm not I'm not surprised. I believe that the true body of Christ, the true church is in exile and has been in exile since Jesus left. The true body of Christ has been all throughout the world and when I say exile, I don't mean we're broken off from a church. I'm saying we're in exile because we're not with God, right? So what does the Old Testament teach us when they were away from the Holy Land, they were in exile, right? They're wandering, waiting for to return. Likewise, the new Jerusalem is coming, the new heaven is coming, the new earth is coming and we're in exile from it, awaiting it and we are all spread off uh, all around the world in different churches. There are true members of the church in every single church. Well, every single Christian church. Pentecostal, Baptist, Presbyterian, Arminian, Calvinist, uh, 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 even Catholics and Orthodox. Yes, there are true church members in all these places because you have a physical church, then you have a spiritual church. The physical church, that's the building, that's the memberships. You got the covenant membership, you sign papers, you get baptized, do all that stuff. But the spiritual church has nothing to do with those things. You are connected and in the spiritual church one way and one way only, and that's through Jesus Christ, receiving his Holy Spirit so that you may be connected with the body of Christ. I don't even know how we got there, but let's keep going. Ooh, listen. For there are some 
I'm sorry, there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers. That's 2023. Oh, never mind. No, it's not. This is back then. It might as well be. It might as well be 2023. What's it saying? Many are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers. Just want to see what words he used to write this. So yeah, these are really good. These are actually really good translations right here. Nothing to change. Nothing to uh, break down. And then it says, especially those of the circumcision party, which obviously I think you understand what that is. He says, they must be silenced. What? Man, where's all my TikTok Christians that are always like, stop it. Don't make a video about them. Just pray for them. You know, it's crazy to me when Christians say, just pray for them. And it's like, well, wait a minute. If a wolf is out here chewing on sheep's throats and we all just keep praying and keep praying and keep praying. What if God keeps sending someone and you keep stopping them and saying, no, 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 just pray. And God sends another, no, 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 just pray. And God's like, bro, I'm answering you. Just being honest, I can't stand it when people say, like, what do y'all want? God to come down and waste his time, sit down next to this person and rebuke them personally? Well, heck, if God's finna do that, I might teach wrong just so I could see him. I want to meet him. They must be silenced. I don't, people say, Mike, why do you get so angry? Why do you get so passionate? Because I see it exactly what it is. And I think Paul sees it that way too, because the scriptures declare it. This is not a game we're playing. Like I, I, maybe, maybe some people do pick up Christianity as a trend because we do live in the age. We live in a generation for the last, at least my generation has always been about trends and clicks and we're tribal. And maybe there are some Christians who are just Christian for the tribal mentality. You want to put, you want that you, Hey, I like their, their, their ideology. They believe in, you know, uh, loving each other and the golden rule and, you know, respect and piety and charity. I'm, I'm cool being a part of that. And they've got the, you, every week they go to this place and they have cookouts. And cause you know, nowadays churches basically becomes like a community center, um, which don't get me wrong. I don't mind being involved in a community, but that shouldn't be your, reason you're going to the church, right? Those people, whatever, like whatever. But I kind of forgot even how we even got there. You said so many claim to be Christians. So many people think that Christianity, oh, now I remember how to get there. People don't take it serious enough to realize this is eternal life that we're talking about. Even when I talk to like atheists that are super prideful and don't want to even look into the truth, like they don't even want to look at it. I've met people who said, nah, it's, it's stupid. I won't even look at it because I'll ask them, is there any, if I bought you a book, would you read it? That's something I ask people a lot. I learned that from watching a Frank Turk uh, uh, presentation. He said, uh, if I give you a book, will you read it? And it was his own book, but I like the way that he asked that. So I've asked atheists that. When I talk to him probably like, yo, if I give you a book, if I buy you a book, will you read it? And I've met some that are like, just like, no, no, I care less about it. Like, that's mind blowing that people don't even take time to take this question serious. Like, if you're an atheist still in here listening or an agnostic or whatever, let me just ask you a question. Legitimate. What must a man do in the matter of three years to never be forgotten again? What must a man do? 
Because if you're not willing to admit Jesus is God, okay, cool. He is a historical person. What did he do in three years to where without him writing a single word down is the most famous name to ever exist? Isn't that a little interesting to you? Are you really telling me you're not interested in what this man did before the age of social media, communication, technology, more famous than any name ever, more famous than Michael Jackson, Drake, Madonna, all of them put together, presidents? Hold on one second, guys. I'm going to put you on a timeout and put a little music on for you guys uh, 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 while I go talk to my wife I, so I can hear. My bad, guys. I didn't realize I had YouTube on uh, mute still. 
So I've been talking, um, I've been talking to TikTok for about three minutes. My bad. I saudi, I saudi. Um, <laughs> so what I was saying is, uh, uh, yeah, go ahead and message, it messes me for sure, Big John. What I was saying is I didn't realize how long I've been on. Um, so, uh, I'm about to try and wrap this up real quick. Uh, and I want to hit one last part, right? And what I was saying on my, on TikTok, when I thought you guys could hear me is, um, even though this message has been for, uh, uh, men of God, if you're a woman of God, there's things you can still get from this. A, if you're a single woman, this is the kind of man that a man, at least aiming for these things. If you meet a man who's lazy, like it, a good man is a man with work ethic, a man who is honest and respectable, like, uh, 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 hospitable like we're just reading it hospitable gentle these are the terms that a godly man is supposed to be for his congregation and uh and the congregation is supposed to love the church like jesus loves the church just like a man is supposed to love his wife right so um and then if you are married and you have kids this is what you want your sons to look like or if your husband you can help him because as a wife you're supposed to support and help just like he's supposed to support and help you to guide him to be like this right so it all makes sense it i mean it's all good for you but i wanted to come here because some of you men might say well no matter what i definitely don't want to be an overseer so i know you said mike we should all want to be so that's not for me but he urges younger men something Actually, he talks to women on here too. So let's start at the beginning of the chapter and go through it. He says, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the women, young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husband, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourselves in all respect to be a model of good works and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. Ooh, I love that. I don't know if you know this. But this has been my goal. This is why most people that make videos about me can only do so by making videos about either A, saying they disagree with me, which that's fine, or attack me personally because I will, my, I'm, my goal is to give you nothing to try and use against me. People talk about, Oh, Christians shouldn't talk about works. It says, show yourself in all respect to be models of good works. Men of God, listen to me, show yourself in all respect to be a model of good works and in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Remember Daniel, they wanted to get him in trouble so badly, but everything he did was perfect. So they couldn't get him in trouble. They checked every area of his job and there was nothing, but you know how they got him to be in trouble by convincing uh, the King to enact a law about prayer. Daniel wouldn't sacrifice. He wouldn't be uh, good in that area. He's going to be good and follow God on that one. 
Then he says, bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything that you are, that they are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our savior. And then real quick, I wanted, I know I'm running out of time. So this is the last thing I want you to hear. Paul in verse nine of chapter three says, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions. Bye, baby. I love you. I'm done. I'm finishing up. Last verse. Um, avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law. For they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once, and then twice have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. Also reminds me of Hebrews 6, where he says that if these people have heard the truth and tasted the, uh, in the heavenly gift, ain't nothing else you could do. Ain't nothing else you could do. Ladies and gentlemen, I have to get out of here. I can't believe we hung out that long. We've actually, I, I guess I went live later than I thought I did. We've been live for an hour and 16 minutes. If you came in late though, guess what? You can go back and watch this instantly. The minute I end it, it will be available on YouTube. All you have to do is go into the old live streams and watch it. Um, maybe if I have more time later, I'll come back live. Who knows? I got some content I want to make. Um, actually I've got, I'm going to, I got to make a YouTube video. So I'm going to make, I've got to do a YouTube reaction. So there will be a YouTube video uploaded tonight. I won't be live again, but tomorrow night podcast, eight 30 central, uh, please guys get over to YouTube, hit the subscribe button. You know, TikTok is being stupid. Um, love you guys. I got to get out of here. Uh, thank you so much for joining me as always. I appreciate you all. And as always. God bless and go in peace.